Our emotions are like a bottle of Tabasco. Hello there, and welcome to The Recommendation Game, a film of the week podcast where we take turns to recommend a film the author has not seen. We watch them separately and then Skype to discuss them. My name is Orla McNeilis. And I'm Ricardo Deacon. You are listening to Double Tejula Radio. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It is Floating Weeds from 1959. The head of a Japanese theater troupe returns to a small coastal town where he left a son who thinks he is his uncle, tries to make up for lost time, but his current mistress grows jealous. This week's film was chosen by Ricardo. It was indeed. Ricardo, uh, tell us why you picked this movie. Well, I picked this movie because eventually I was going to have to pick an Ozu film. Like, uh, <laughs> he's one of the film directors that I love the most. Um he did, I think, about 40 films in a 40-year career. It's one of these uh, very prolific directors at the time. He died really young. I think he was only 60 years old when he died. Yeah. Uh, Not that long after this movie, I think. Yeah, he did one more movie after this. Uh can't remember the name of it. It's very good, though. Uh, the weird thing about Ozu that I was struggling to pick the mo- which movie to pick is that there's only two types of Ozu movies. Mm-hmm. Color Ozu or black and white Ozu. Because <laughs> then the movies kind of just like melt together into like one over rather than individual pieces. And that comes from somebody that hasn't seen every Ozu movie. I haven't seen any of his silent films. And Floating Weeds is actually a remake of a silent film that he made in the 30s as well. But I think that there's... Um, a vast difference between Ozu, the filmmaker before 1945 and post-1945, that after 1945 is when he just went, he doubled down in the style that is present in this film, that is the the way that he shoots dialogue that the Coen brothers uh, kind of emulate, that is having the camera mm-hmm. in between the characters and it's almost looking directly at the camera, but not quite. Uh, he also uh, developed the famous tatami shot named after the the carpets that Japanese people sit down on. That that's the the camera level, the the level where the camera is. Every single movie that I've seen of Ozu could have been the pick. This just happened to be the last that I saw a few years ago. Uh, when I, because I haven't seen them more than once, let's say, because there was there's so many of his films that I want to eventually get around watching that I don't have the time to like rewatch <laughs> them, kind of thing. You know, like you have forty movies to get through, really twenty five uh, post nineteen forty five that you want to get to, and I think that he's. Um, you can see his influence in so many other directors afterwards. That is, is something that is incredible about him. Uh, I know that you like, uh, you really like a director that he heavily influenced. So I thought that'd be interesting to compare their films. 
the director, obviously, is Aki Kurosmaki. Famously, in the way that only Aki Kurosmaki could do in the making of of uh, one of his movies. Did it involve him driving somewhere for many days? <laughs> no, this is a... I can't remember for what movie it was, but it's in YouTube. You should, you should see it. Uh, Aki Kurosmaki is like supposedly talking about his career, but he ends up like smoking, looking at a picture of, of Ozu and talking to like... Uh, a fictitious person because obviously Ozu was dead at this point and he's like I've made 11 lousy movies just to prove to myself that I could never get close to your mastery Mr. Ozu <laughs> both uh, Karismaki and Ozu followed a similar idea that comes from early um, early 20th century modernism I think Cezanne or Cesar is the name of the painter they used to paint the same item time and time again in different styles trying to find different truths just changing little things and in the case of Aki Kurosmaki he's dedicated his entire career about making movies about people in low down in society and how they relate with each other and the humanity that whenever you take financial wealth out of the equation how people can relate in a more truthful sense uh, rather than being divided by this what do you have or what don't you have kind of equation of worth and Ozu uh, did the same but as he got older his approach became more uh, pointed in a way and I think that this movie in a way is a good introduction because it's not for example Tokyo Story is an incredible movie but it's a movie where literally nothing happens. There's no drama. There's no conflict. It's just smooth going kind of thing. And I think that the the flaws sometimes in film studies in general, not just the course that we did, but in general, is that they mm -hmm. use Tokyo Story as uh, the film to introduce Ozu with. And I think a lot of people don't, they're not used to the rhythms of his movie. And they're not, they, they're expecting things to happen. And when they don't happen, you already lost half the movie. In your case, like I don't think that that'd be a problem because he's uh, he's a very relaxing filmmaking filmmaker. And like we talk about place and the theme of like nostalgia and like lost places and stuff. And I think that very strangely, this film is kind of a good companion piece to Minding the Gap. Which, uh, uh, which I'll get to mm. eventually, but I think that uh, <laughs> I was going to say Kiki's Delivery Service weirdly just because of the seaside setting and like the weird little town. <laughs> like, but I think it's part of like missed opportunities and like uh, the tragedy of life sometimes. That is like the the way fathers that and fathers and sons and the <laughs> idea that uh, like what I like about. Floating Weeds and most Ozu movies again is the the characters are very self-aware of their own flaws and they're unable to to stop those flaws for enough time let's say and it's they're very conflicting characters and what I love about his movies as well like um, watching it yesterday with Alex she was shocked 
by when there's actual drama and violence in the movie and she wasn't able to almost recover from it. And I think that that's the intention of the movie, that it comes so much out of there that it kind of recontextualizes everything that you have seen in a way. And it's a pity that also died when he did because he had the, like his last four films starts criticizing more pointedly Japanese culture of the time which this mm-hmm. does to a very great effect. And I think that it is one of the, like I picked it as well because it's one of the films that um, draws more criticism than other of his movies because of how he deals with uh, the main character in particular, which I'll ask you questions about going forward. But I I thought that it would lend itself to a good conversation about what, uh, Ozu is as a filmmaker and what he does but I think that besides all of that is that I wanted to pick it because you haven't seen an Ozu movie before and I think that his movies are the most beautiful movies ever made like every single one of his films are incredible how like and even like how he jumped from black and white to color and realizing like completely 100% how to use color to tell the story and like how to he tell a vision. He took his time getting there, but when he did, he <laughs> knocked yeah. it out of the park. <laughs> oh yeah, like all his color movies are incredible and all his black <laughs> and white movies are incredible. But I think that there's like a few um, film essays on YouTube that like will point, has pointed out that he cared more about the conceptualization of the individual shot rather than the integrity of the edit so you see that sometimes like objects move within the frame just because it makes it into a better shot rather than like fixing continuity in this case there's like a famously a statue that is on stage facing one way on one shot and facing another on the next shot and it's completely on purpose just to make both shots to be beautiful but the way that he controls depth in particular that everything is like shot through corridors almost and there's something happening in the foreground in the background and you see his influence kind of permeating everywhere and is the the most interesting thing i suppose is that he's not as widely seen as somebody like kurosawa or david lean or like these filmmakers that really influence filmmaking it's more that the people that were influenced by him were so influenced that, that like they people get influenced. Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah. that uh, <laughs> you see it's stuff like uh, uh, Wong Kar Wai uh, uh, and uh, Bon Joon Ho really, yeah. uh, really use the uh, like uh, ensemble kind of blocking, blocking to tell the story, and, yeah. and you have. Uh, obviously Wes Anderson with the idea of symmetry you know like we'll get to him (laughs) like there's so much of that but I think that something that it's it's one of those things that it's like there are a lot of imitators but there's only one Ozu and I think that the genius of Aki Kurosmaki was somebody that really uh borrowed heavily from Ozu by making it into his own style he's not trying to copy him he uses the same way that Ozu used the sun as an ideal let's say he uses Ozu as his ideal kind of thing but the way that he shoots like the only thing that he really borrows is the the acting 
from like the deadpan acting to kind of like yes, uh, lower the... down the, the the melodrama that you can get away with a lot more melodrama in your stories if everybody's playing everything so down it doesn't feel <laughs> like a soap opera uh, and especially in this movie it's really pointed because it's they're like actors in the kabuchi show who are like <laughs> completely overacting on stage and then when they come off the stage it's like everything is kind of like low down until there's an explosion of emotion but that scene really really works because of the punctuation it seems to come out of nowhere i think ozu is a true humanist as a filmmaker and it's like from every little detail like you were saying of like Miyazaki being influenced by Ozu in the way that he sets like little details of like kids running around like even like the kid playing card in the foreground in one of the scenes <laughs> and it's so like detailed that everything it feels almost like even watching it now like uh, what struck me so much is that it is a very particular type of filmmaking that nobody makes a movie like Ozu. But at the same time, because of that, it doesn't feel like a film shot in the 1950s. It mm. almost feels like a period piece, like a shot on film, obviously. But that, and also it does help the way that, like, the costumes themselves—they're like this kind of transitional period in Japanese era that you're used to watching Japanese films set in Tokyo or Okinawa, Nagasaki, and this this place that is almost almost time forgot you mm. there's like only t like you see telephone poles and like a radio or something like that to kind of hint that this is not early 19th century just to finish up i'll just read up uh from uh roger ebert's uh review of floating weeds famously floating weeds is one of uh roger ebert's favorite films and it's very very interesting because he's so good at conveying why a movie is great sooner or later everyone who loves movies comes to ozu he is the quietest and gentlest of directors the most humanistic and the most serene but the emotions that flow through his films are strong and deep because they reflect the things we care the most about parents and children marriage or a life lived alone illness and death and taking care of one another and oh, I think that that captures chills, it completely. Chills. Like. Oh, my goodness. So, yes, uh, without further ado, uh, what did you think of Floating Weeds? Yeah, I don't know if you said at the start, but uh, it was obviously implied because this is my first OC movie. But uh, this is like such a blind spot for me. It's It's kind of like comical at this point because... I have no idea why. Like, there's no, there's no reason for it. You know, there's no point in my life where I would have been like, oh, I don't know, that seems a bit slow or whatever. Like, but I just managed to avoid him for for so long. That <laughs> I was very, very excited whenever you uh, you finally picked one. Like, <laughs> yes, um, I think you touched on it there, but uh, I love the setting of this so much. Like, the setting and also how he portrays the setting, and that's definitely something that we said about. Kiki's delivery service as well that there's so much like world building around it uh and also kind of a weird out of time place in that movie as well where it's kind of like strangely European and it's almost like a French seaside town and um but yeah I find it there's something incredibly uh comforting about 
just sort of touring about this town and sort of just seeing the people like as they arrive and as they set up the theater and everything and you know the kind of like the the portrayal of like the sort of Japanese customs and traditions and and, and everything and it in a sort of a like calm and quiet way <laughs> it's very pleasing like and that's a combination of all the skills that he's using in this film like it's not just the composition it's where the, you know it's just everything is working in a very calming sense um yeah i just i very i very much enjoyed the like company of this film like it was just wow obviously one of the main things is like the cinematography <laughs> like it is ridiculous um because like it's so it's so referenced by so many people but it still felt like oh you know it's actually like oh and it's so i think like uh is it the royal ocean film society i think he has a an episode on like the cinematography of this film and how it's like unshowy but also so precise and like how, where everything is put in the frame how long he lingers on certain shots like you know the the idea of just completely removing movement from the equation whatsoever but not not leaving you with like really sort of boring frames like it never there's no point in the film where you feel like you've stayed in one place for too long like some scenes are longer than others and stuff but like there's never really a feeling that like the pacing is off you know it's all it's all it all seems very like particular um yeah he's also really funny uh, which i don't know if i was completely primed for but there's just a lot of which makes sense with the charismatic thing as well because you know such a use of deadpan humor but like <laughs> i really love the like the final scene there's a lot of like funny moments in this but um the the like the the scene at the very end of the train station where um they're both there and they they haven't really made up yet and she comes over to him and you know he's got a cigarette but he, you know, he's there he just can't find his just can't find his matches and she comes over and is like trying to light trying to light the match and he just keeps you know like you know nope 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 just like keep avoiding her and then just like slowly but surely allowing her to light his cigarette and like it's such a like perfect moment of like just the performances between the two of them and like she's like talking and talking but he's he's like just going through all his like mad pockets um man the pockets i have never <sighs> i spent a lot of time like looking at people's outfits being like just all the places are for storage <laughs> why would you ever give up on these fashions um <laughs> especially yeah. in the summer they look like so comfy for that heat like the idea of like yeah, breeze going in through there is a lot of like um there's a lot of like references to the heat and like use of fans to like varying degrees of like dramatic sort of like points within like scenes and stuff. Um, but I really like the, uh, uh, the portrayal of like the acting troupe itself. Like, I don't know a whole lot about um, like uh, Kabuki theater, like I like, know vaguely of like the long history and stuff. And, but I like that it's portrayed here as this sort of old-fashioned thing and like his son like because it's like such a period of transition within Japan like post-war as like things are changing and like the, the generational difference and stuff and how like people are just not interested <laughs> um 
I do have a lot of questions though about I don't know if you can answer any of these. So like yeah. I had a lot of questions about their 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 performance. Mostly because I was like, because he says like the 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 master um says at the start that he might be there for a year. He's like in the same theater? Yeah, it's the same thing? Because the the best uh, way to describe uh, Kabuki Theater B would be more like a vaudeville show. That you'd have like... uh, Alternating bits or something? Yeah, exactly. That would be that you'd be doing like scenes of plays. It wouldn't be that you'd be doing the same play over Mm. and over. So the idea of the time is that you rocked up to a town and your engagement was as long as it drew a crowd and obviously like in this uh, case the like the the era where this movie set these performers were being pushed further and further out of the cities of the bigger theaters because uh, more regular place more european kind of style of entertainment was uh, populating those theaters both like mm-hmm. musically but also in the sense of just regular plays that in a more you, you know British style that you hold the theater and then the play plays until you run out and the like the next play comes mm. on, but also it's the fact that these towns wouldn't have cinemas, so it would be the this entertainment the main... exactly. Mm. I do have to say I love the uh, the soundtrack as well. The soundtrack is just delightful. It's 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 just. Like every so often, we're kind of cutting back to just like a, a little moment of music, and it's really lovely. The soundtrack for this is clearly inspired by uh, Nino Rota's score for Fellini movies in the 40s. Oh. So it's like uh, this kind of. It is kind of like. It is kind of European, actually, when yeah. I think of it. <laughs> That's quite funny. <laughs> I do wish that there was less plot. Um, <laughs> so, as you were describing, it's like that this is sort of the most. I like, you know, as reading after having seen it and stuff as well, that this is kind of the more. I mean, there's not really that much plot, but, you know, it's the more action filled of his movies, let's say. And, like, it's not that I didn't dislike the sort of dramatic sections and like i kind of understand what you mean about him using them as like punctuation as like they're supposed to be sort of shocking and stuff but um yeah i don't know there'd be like the drama and then we'd sort of um because i think after the big dramatic scene in the rain uh i think after that they cut to the beach yeah yes and I loved all the scenes with the acting troupe just sort of hanging around with each other and, you know, going and having, like, copious amounts of sake. And, you know, I loved all that interaction so much that uh, the sort of more dramatic elements, I was like, eh. <laughs> you know, like it, it's just that, you know, I wanted to, I wanted more of, like, everything else around it. Um, yeah, it's interesting, like, so because this is a... A remake of his his silent film, which uh, like I obviously haven't seen it, but um, just like reading up on it, and that it has a like a bleaker tone than this. That it follows the same story, but that there are like some differences. Uh, well, there's a guy called Donald Ritchie um, who doesn't sound like he's a 
expert on Japanese film, but he is apparently. Um, he wrote an essay in Criterion about the two films, and uh, he kind of highlights how the original film has like a darker tone, which sort of demonstrates how Ozu mellowed in his old age, uh, which is not necessarily a bad thing, but there's. So there's like the quote at the very end of the, the article is, one does not, for example, see or feel in floating weeds the pain of the once again abandoned mother. To be sure, Haruku Sigimura is by no means happy about further betrayal, but she has become philosophical. Uh, Choko Lida in A Story of Floating Weeds showed us a, shows us a bleak despair rarely seen in Ozu's more expansive later work. Um, and like... And, say, and saying that, like, I don't, I don't feel like it's, it just made me more curious to see the other movies. Because well, like, I, like, uh, I, I don't, like, I, kind of, I clearly says, but at the same time, like, I don't, I, I don't think that those scenes have no poignance, like, particularly with his character at the end, because um, where he's talking about how I will go off and I will make you proud. I will become this great actor and this great man for you. And like. It's it's sort of it feels very poignant because like as a like a story of like a father and a man very much adrift. Um, but that Ozu chooses to go back and uh redo this story, like towards the end of his career as well, I think is very poignant. So I think that part of that is that like uh, he realized as a filmmaker that he was a far better um he was far better at criticizing the uh, structure of Japan without being as uh, this Donald Ritchie guy says, like, overt. And I think that is a far more, it's way bleaker, I think, than, like, it's one of the reasons that I picked this movie because, uh, like, all his other, not all his other movies because, uh, like, his movies are different, let's say, but to... To, at least to the ones that I have seen, uh, this movie has a far more poignant message and f- far more mm. pointed criticism. So I thought that perhaps it's not the best Ozu movie for us to watch, but be the best to talk about, if that makes sense. Like as an introduction, I felt confident enough that you'd be not swayed not to watch other Ozu after this. <laughs> yes, that's, uh, that was that was my conclusion. <laughs> but <laughs> I knew that also I didn't want to like, I know sometimes like watching a movie for the podcast gives you a different approach to watching a movie just for enjoyment. And I didn't want mm. to like, especially like late spring, early autumn, like I wouldn't want to watch like talk for an hour for that movie. I think that it's like, like those two movies are something that, which is unique about Ozu that is the kind of movie that like your experience with with them is so personal there should just be your own let's say they shouldn't be yeah. talked about which there's not that many movies that cause that and it's like I think it's the poetry and the beauty of his movie so like that's why one of the reasons that <laughs> this it is took the me, first and last Ozu movie will do <laughs> no like there are others that I'd like to pick but like those two for example are like I wouldn't I wouldn't want to talk about them because it's too personal in a way. I don't want to let people know why I like them in a way. It's just mine. You know, like I'll watch them with other people and they ask me. I understand that. It's like whenever you have a song or an album that's like very personal and you don't want to share it with somebody in case they like don't like it or don't get it or you don't want to associate it with anybody else. It's like, it's mine. It's all mine. Uh, But in this case, uh, like just going back to Floating Weeds is that 
Like I think that the the ending of the movie in itself is way bleaker because the the tragedies both the the woman that he leaves behind but also the woman that stays behind there's a reason why he doesn't end the movie mm. in the train station is that it shows her for the first time in the movie subjugated by him that she's feeding him giving him sake or whatever that is like this idea that in japan in the 50s especially that generation the only way that like a man and a woman will work is if the woman realizes that she's secondary Mm-hmm. And I think that it's like the breakdown of her throughout the movie. It makes the leading character, I think, deeply unlikable, but still human. Oh, yeah. But the tragedy of the mother character. Again, the tragedy in this version of the movie is that the she's left with two options, being alone or taking this near-to-do <laughs> asshole because she is a person that had a child out of wedlock. Doesn't matter mm. that she's a successful businesswoman. Doesn't matter the anything that she's pretty. Doesn't matter if she's smart, charismatic, or whatever. She has two options in this life: end up with your, the man that birthed her, like the gave her her child, because it's the the only guy that can't criticize her. For having a child out of wedlock or be alone. Mm. And it's something that both herself and quote unquote the master acknowledge. And that's why it's such a sticking point the son going to college because there's no other option for her. It's mm. like being alone or not. And I think that that makes it a bigger tragedy because when she asked him to stay, she doesn't want him to stay. And when he goes, she doesn't want him to go. Because either version of her life is a tragedy. If he stays, she's miserable because it's this fuckhead that she has to live with. And if he goes, she's alone. Just bringing him warm sake for like the rest of her life. That's the poignancy of the criticism that like Ozu is doing in Japanese culture. It's like similarly to Irish culture, the lack of... uh, of showing of emotion amongst men kind of like stunts you. And then when you have to use emotional intelligence, you don't have it to be able to like or navigate you have no through control a... over it. <laughs> yeah. And then you can't navigate any tricky situations that you might get. Like life is messy. So you have to be able to navigate them to a certain level with a certain grace. But if you bottle it up and then suddenly it's like, oh, I have to open the bottle to use this shit. (laughs) And like everything pours out, you know, it's like when you don't use a bottle of Tabasco for ages and then you're like this and nothing comes out. And then suddenly there's Tabasco everywhere. Our emotions are like a bottle of Tabasco. I have to say on one thing about I really like the the two kids together Um, in saying that the guy the actor who plays the young son is not very good. <laughs> I find him a little bit kind of... Yeah, I, I think that there's like wooden performance on purpose and then there's just <laughs> wooden performance. <laughs> and I think that he crosses the, the slight, uh, that, that line a bit. Uh, I think it's the, the only weak performance in the movie, but it's, yeah, it kind that. of gets away with it to a certain degree because uh, the whole styling of Ozu is not exactly naturalistic. So <laughs> it's it's bad, 
But if it was shot like a Kurosawa movie and you have this performance, you'd be like <laughs> nearly vomiting every time that he shows up on screen because <laughs> it is rather wooden. Like Alex didn't get past how how unlike unlikable the main character is, especially whenever the female characters were like all of them asking for a second chance to be with him. And I was like, that's the point is that they're too afraid of what's the other option. Mm. Like the, the, his current girlfriend who used to be a prostitute probably hinted that she was both under the thumb and encountering way worse guys than this guy. So it's like, this guy is terrible, but better yeah. the devil I know. There is a lot of references to so even whenever they're they're debating whether or not to like take the money and leave, like there are a lot of references to how good he has been to all of them, as that you know this troop has sort of been brought together by this guy that like you know has like helped them all in different ways. Um, so like you can see why he's you know he's incredibly flawed. But why people also feel a sense of loyalty towards him, um, even if he is a, a massive dickhead. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think that is one of those things that is like he's a massive dickhead now, but it's kind of like a revelation of his flaws. Now they weren't there whenever people got involved, and then even uh, Akio, I think, is the name of the the younger female character, the one that ends up with his son that mm. she wants to stay, to stay with him because of that idea of self-worth that like the idea of um being an itinerant actor is just one level above being a prostitute mm. so it kind of like yeah even if uh, i stay here with this guy he's gonna eventually want something better and then I'm left with nobody because I don't know anybody here. I'll be the stranger and then I can't go looking for this guy or whatever. Or then I end up having to be in an acting troupe with somebody that is way worse than this guy. I think it's the... Or that if she marries him that eventually he will like either resent her because he didn't go to college or resent her because he feels that she's beneath him or like there's no like happy ending there for her in that situation which is kind of mirrors the other female characters and and it's something that is like quite impressive for those who consider it like he's a japanese filmmaker from like starting in the 1920s or whatever, but he's always had a very empathetic view towards women and also like uh, like people that usually you wouldn't see in movies as being the the person that demands empathy. Because mm. like this movie, it's clearly that everybody, like the, the main character is kind of a wrecking ball and it's everybody else that you have to empathize with. You know, like the, he just keeps hitting off things quite literally sometimes. But, um, but like Tokyo Story or um, Late Spring are about like parents and when they're growing older and retiring, that is so you know, even nowadays, it's very rare to see movies that are about that. Like, mm. it's like Tokyo Story is about like two parents going to visit their kids, and their kids are too busy in work to pay attention to them. And three hours Aww. of that, 
that's what it's about? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that makes me so sad. And uh, oh. I love that there's like a, a, one of the, there's an actor that you'll see when you start watching all the movies that like he's in like so many of them. He, <laughs> he has a cameo in this movie. He always has the same haircut and the little mustache. He has like this little <laughs> square haircut, almost like a crew cut uh, as he gets older and stuff. But he's amazing. He's one of my my favorite actors, but uh, in Ozu movies, like I think he knows exactly what Ozu is doing. Yeah, it's like uh, one of the, like it's been one of these picks that I was like, yeah, like I'll be very surprised if Orla doesn't, appreciate the movie you know because you watch oh man that would have been i don't know it would have been the biggest rant in the history of this podcast uh i would have lost it's the hill i would die on like uh like my brother like friend of the podcast felipe doesn't like ozu and to this day i hold it against him it's like uh, fascinating a, a, a mark I guess I don't know. Like uh, I don't know why anyone wouldn't like Ozu. It's like a hot cup of tea with depth. It's like if you got, <laughs> you know, like if you got like a Michelin star tea. The I don't know, you know, though it's like oh, it has layers of flavor, but it's still a cup of tea. I feel like you know, like I want to progress now with Ozu because, like, obviously, finally, but. uh I feel like maybe this one will always be my favorite of his film, but that like I still really enjoyed it and it was like worth the wait. And I understand why people call him a master. And like I find it really sad that, you know, he died before he became like internationally recognized and it's kinda Yeah, like even in uh, American stuff like that, like his movies only started being shown in the nineteen seventies. It wasn't like even like Kurosawa mm. that he got a certain level of exposure before it's mm. uh, like obviously he was successful enough within Japanese cinema to keep working, but if if you could possibly pick one, uh what's your favorite thing? Well, like, my favorite thing is Ozu. Like, I think that every, like, uh, the incredible thing about Ozu is that he worked with different cinematographers and different um, editors, but all his movies are an Ozu movie. It's like, it doesn't yeah. matter if you walk in, but... Well, this is the guy who shot Rashomon, isn't it? He also shot, I think, six out of the 23 Zaitochi movies. Uh mm-hmm. Which is a series that I recommend watching, but at the same time, there's 23 of those. Uh, and um. <laughs> only when I had a summer with no, like, a lot of time to waste, I got through all 23 of those. But they're amazing <laughs> movies. But the, but the bit that I love about Ozu as well as a filmmaker that it has to be noted is that some directors that are so precise and careful with their craft or whatever end up being dickheads and it's <laughs> famous that Ozu was as gentle as his movies that like working in a Ozu set was like watching an Ozu movie that like it's uh, so relaxing and you're just sitting there Aww. and imagine like that's why like I think so many actors just wanted to go back because imagine like the feeling of watching an Ozu movie, yeah. but it's like for months. I'd be like, <laughs> I, I'd be like, oh man, sign me up, like twenty heaven. year contract. <laughs> I don't care. I'm in heaven. <laughs> I'll do anything. 
I'll play third Uruguay and from the right or whatever for 20 years. From the sun. Um. But I think oh it's... Oh, my the, goodness. Uh, it's... Uh, but that's the, that's the thing is that, like, there are directors that when you put their movies on, you know, like, even... I, I watch an Ozu movie that I've never seen or heard about and within like 10 seconds I know that I'm watching an Ozu movie and mm. all of them without exception gives me this amazing fucking feeling while watching them and I think that's unique and precious and it has to be like really uh, cherished in film that sometimes it's not about being amazed about a movie it's mm. just sitting there and like that it it draws from a deeper well the emotions that you're feeling it's not a superficial like i've cried harder than worse movies but whenever i cried watching another movie it's been for longer oh, beautiful what was your favorite thing <laughs> it's funny um after I watched this last night, I had a real, I wanted to like continue the feeling and the feeling, the, the film that popped into my head actually, which is kind of probably a weird one, was actually Pain and Glory, the Almodovar Okay, <laughs> for a second there, I, I got confused and I thought that you were, uh, <laughs> no, not Pain and Glory. Yes, that's the thing that I thought that you were referring to. Uh, no, um, which I think makes sense because like there are a lot of similar themes in the two movies of like like the, the aging and and like uh, feeling like like old in your career and stuff as well. Uh, but also just kind of like the the tone of that film. Um, there's something about that film because there's such waves of nostalgia in that film that it kind of like envelops you in this sort of feeling. So I was kind of like, after I watched this yesterday, I was like going through uh, Criterion trying to find something that would match my mood. And I couldn't. And now I'm like, what the fuck did I just watch the other old movie? But uh, yeah, so anyway, <laughs> my favorite thing. Um, yeah, I think it's kind of the feeling as well that the the film kind of, um, which is I I felt sometimes then whenever it sort of had more of the action that it sort of like it was it was going into another realm that maybe I wasn't quite ready for or something I I don't know because I was I was so happy just being in like the other parts of the movie that I was like why are you shocking me <laughs> I don't want to be there <laughs> I want this to be slower. <laughs> Which is the like um, the weird feeling with a movie that sometimes it's like, you know, Ozu is accused of being too slow from time to time. And it's like, but that's the best bit. <laughs> yeah. What was your uh, least favorite thing? <laughs> I, like, I think that it's, uh, there's only one clear answer, which is the performance of uh, your man. Uh, I do think <laughs> that it is as, like, I don't think it's, like ruins the movie but it's the only bit that like obviously i don't think that it ruins the movie because i fucking love this movie but uh i think it's the only uh not quite a misstep but it's the the only part of the movie that doesn't really react completely i think it's he's also his scenes are always with such better actors that the 
the contrast is yeah. a lot bigger, let's say, than if he was playing off somebody else kind of thing. Um, but yeah, that's it, because I think that there's like, you know, there's bits that I disagree with the movie, like even in the characterization and stuff. But I think it's what makes it humanistic in a way is because I want your man to be better. And I think it's mm. part of the the point of the movie. So I can't really dislike it. But at the same time, every time that I watch the movie, it, it like it's like a sweet and sour taste. That is like, oh, it's this kind of almost romantic Hollywood era ending. Like two people in a train just going off together. Mm. But you're like... But neither of them no. should be together. You know, like, what's your least favorite thing? Um, it's probably the 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 more aggressive violent scenes, only because they're quite long and shocking. And like, I don't think that the the I don't think that like the director. I don't think he is. You know, he's not endorsing what's happening. And, like, they make sense within the scene and stuff, but they're still just so, like, ah, ah, no, stop it. Uh, which was kind of what I was saying last night. Because uh, even, like, with the with the kid, like, in his acting, like, he kind of gets away with it because he doesn't have to do a whole lot for most of the movie until, like, the more dramatic scenes at the end. Because it wasn't until, like, the movie was nearly over that I was, like, Oh wait, that kid is terrible. Because <laughs> I was like, something isn't right here. Um, but like, it didn't. It didn't really bother me. I felt like he was trying his best. Um, where I'd like, whereas, yeah, the 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 more the more aggressive scenes, it sort of took me a while to get over. But um, in saying that, didn't ruin the movie. It gave us a lot to talk about. Uh, that was partly why, uh, like, I picked it. That it was like uh, the. I think that it would give a good starting point for conversation, and also, you know, there's other movies that of also that if I picked it, it would just be me. Yeah, I love this movie. Bye. <laughs> we could talk about like tea and sandwiches instead for. For an hour, yes. Do you know what floating weed? Why the movie is called Floating Weeds? No, because that's because they're like uh, drifting in the water. I don't know. Uh, floating <laughs> like weeds is actually actors. the actual term for kabuki actors. Oh, okay. <laughs> I don't wonder. I was like, <laughs> oh, that's quite nice. And just find out know, is that one of my favorite things about Ozu is that like how. Uh, amazing his titles translate so beautifully into english you know like there mm. is like uh, an autumn afternoon or late spring <laughs> early spring early autumn yeah tokyo story floating weeds you know like winter equinox and stuff like it's all it's all poetry isn't it yeah like uh, <laughs> his films are poetry si senora so orla where can they find us uh, they can find us on Facebook, The Recommendation Game, on Twitter at The Rec Game. They can email us at TheRecommendationGame at gmail.com. You can find us on Dublin Digital Radio every second Monday from 11 till 12. 
And you can find us on Spotify and Google Podcasts and all those good places where podcasts are kept. So Orla, uh, next week's film is chosen by Orla. <laughs> Two Japanese movies in a row. Uh, it's Tampopo from 1985, uh, which I'm very much looking forward to. Me too. Until then, I was Orla McInnes. And I was Ricardo Deacon. Thanks for listening. See you in two weeks' time. <laughs>